morning, come on. Thank you, God. Woo! <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Wonderful. Smile at someone and take your seats. I reckon you're worthy to get a smile from someone this morning. All those who are young people's group, our YPs, you're now released to go to that particular group. And uh, for all our, those age group, they know who they are. Have a good morning. Ben will be looking after you this morning, all that particular age group. You know, while we're in here, every week we have a dedicated group of, uh, of course, children's church team out the back, uh, ably led by my wife. And I just want to, I know they're not here to receive the thanks, but we appreciate all of them. Do you appreciate those who impart God's word into our children? Amen. Well, I tell you Tell them that when you see them, they'll appreciate that. That'd be brilliant. So all our young people, I believe that's the uh, 12 and 13 year olds, you can, if you haven't already gone, they probably have. <clears throat> you know, it's been proven time and time again that, you know, that um, people, the worst form of torture for humanity or for an individual is solitary confinement. Now, um, I have to just um, appreciate that fact. I've never been in solitary confinement. I don't know if anybody here has ever been in that situation, but they say it's a terrible, any you know, a terrible thing to happen in someone's life, especially for lengthy periods of time, like over years. And I know that some people from uh, who are captured in the wars of our world, the First and Second World War, um, had to live with that. And, and you know, they, they, they say the main problem with solitary confinement, that is where you have no ability or no opportunity to communicate or converse with another human being for any length of time, over, you know, and you have this happening for years. They say the main problem, the main issues with it is that it destroys our inner person. It destroys our ability to think to think straight and to think normal. It, it, it destroys our cognitive ability to be able to function properly. That is, um, they say people who, who go through isolation or have no opportunity to communicate or converse or have intimacy or even touch in, in the most um, respectful way someone else, they go through times when there's a worry and anxiety, for instance, become a major issue in their life. Stress becomes a major issue in their life. Um, a sense of hopelessness and even depression for people who haven't got some element of conversation and loving relationship happening in their lives. And I think that today in our community and society, and even today, we, I think that for some um, element that people, even in a community, you know, you've heard that people can live in cities, but they can still be so lonely. Isn't that true? You can live in Gladstone and still be so lonely because... We are all needing the opportunity to converse and communicate with someone else. It's important. They tell us that when we have no opportunity to do that on a regular basis, even our um, physical immune system um, struggles to ward off disease and sickness because our immune system lowers. Isn't that interesting? All because we don't have maybe conversation and communication with someone else. Um, the opposite is true. Communication and conversation uh, and physical touch can recharge our emotional batteries. When, you know, when we get to talk, we get to download, we get to communicate with someone else. Um, it's an interesting thought, but um, there's something that happened in 1946 I found fascinating. 
Um, after that, if you remember, 1945 was when the Second World War finished. They stopped bombing Britain and Europe, and Germany uh, then themselves found themselves being bombed um, by the uh, European allies. But in 1946, in London itself, they had to establish many, many orphanages. And the reason they established these orphanages is because the parents of those babies and infants uh, had been killed in the war. And so for many infants and babies and children, they, uh, the British government placed them in dormitories, orphanages, and these long dormitory-style orphanages. And there was one um, orphanage that had documented evidence. There was about 120 babies and infants in this orphanage. And they, it was a long kind of building, and they all had their own individual beds with you know, we call them cots. You know, that's a bed with rails on the side. And so each of these children were allocated these kind of cots. And they had six nurses to look after 120 children. And you could appreciate these six nurses day in, day out. They just had enough time to feed the children and, and to look after their basic needs. They never had time, never had time to give them individual attention. And unfortunately, you can guess maybe where my story is going this morning, but after six months, they noticed that these children or these babies, there was, um, there was uh, um, their physical bodies, for instance, weren't growing to the normal growth um, uh, parameters. They were much smaller. Uh, they were much, um, they didn't look right. Their, their speech ability wasn't there. They didn't have the vocabulary they should have at that age that they were supposed to have. Even their intellectual ability wasn't there. It was um, less than it should be. These little babies and infants were suffering. And so what they did was they put out a call for 120 women who didn't have children, whatever age, to come and spend some time with these children individually every day of their lives. And so we see what happened was these 120 women would come in, they sit with the little babies, they sit with these infants, and they would feed them, they'd play with them, they'd converse with them, they'd talk to them, uh, they'd hug them, they'd hold them, and they would do all these types of things. And it's interesting, but after another six months, they were able to see a dramatic improvement in the ch- these infants and these babies' lives. They started to grow normally, they started to talk sensibly, they started to actually even smile and laugh. And these children showed improved cognitive behavior in their thinking and their ability to sort things out. Isn't that interesting? So, what did they learn? They learned without communication and conversation and interaction with human beings. When they don't have that, they fail to function and develop properly. And you understand that this morning. If we were to bring that thought and think about it this morning, in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve walked with God and talked with God. I think for many of us, it would it be just great if God still did that, kind of come down and just walk with us, you know. But he has chosen not to, and that's the way it is. But it shouldn't diminish our ability to talk to God. Adam and Eve talked with God. They had communication and relationship with each other. They had relationship with God. And it's interesting, um, God established this precedent in their lives of communication and conversation because you know he created Adam and Eve with an incredible desire to have actual relationship with one another and with him and you know what he created that DNA in us as well it's been passed on it hasn't changed all of us need relationship and communication with one another and that's 
And you know, when we do, we function so much better. But I want to tell you also that when we have communication and relationship with our Heavenly Father, we also function even so much more better than we ever could. Because God created it that way. He created us with the need to communicate, the need to have relationship. It's vital, of course, not just for our physical being, but our emotional well-being. But it's also vital for our spiritual well-being because we are body, mind, soul, and spirit. And you know, we, we need to understand, it's proven time and time again, that, a, that our spiritual, when our spiritual man is doing well, when that part of us is doing well, and we're in relationship with God and talking to Him daily, that all the other elements of our being, our social, mental, uh, intellectual capacities, do so much better, do so much better. And there's one thing that really did damage, was really damaged when Adam and Eve, of course, disobeyed God and sinned and ate of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. It, it, it wasn't the fact that they were actually taken, that couldn't eat the fruit anymore. It wasn't the fact that they now had to kill animals and make skin so they could have clothes. That's, those were important things. But you know what was really damaged? It was a relationship between Adam and Eve and God. God didn't want it that way. It's just that sin creates the wall, this unseen wall. And so their communication and conversation wasn't as intimate as it used to be. And it's been passed on down through the lines. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus Christ came to restore that relationship between us and God. His, his one aim, if there was ever a, a, the mandate that Jesus had, it was to restore relationship between us and his heavenly father. Because all through the Old Testament, we see there is relationship. And God did speak to individuals at times. He spoke face to face with, well, he spoke with Moses and, you know, dreams and visions and, and, and things like that. But today, I'm just so glad that we don't have to second guess or what, what does God want to say. Now, we can actually communicate with him too because we have the Holy Spirit. And you know, I want to, you might be wondering, why am I talking at this level and talking about this, the importance of communication? Because folks, if we never spend time communicating with the creator of our soul, you'll never know how to do, do your life very well. If you never take the opportunity or time to actually plug in, spend some time talking to God about life, whatever the need or worshiping Him, you'll find that life just doesn't go as well. And you know, it's so vitally important. It's so vitally important. Jesus said a couple things. I love what he said. He said this in, in Matthew chapter 11, 28. Uh, this simple verse. He said, come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. In other words, he makes an invitation for us to connect to our heavenly father through the whole avenue and the fact that we live in a world and we get burdened and we get stressful and we get concerned about life and that we can actually come to him and he'll give us rest. That word rest has a wonderful connotations of peace and joy and self-control and all the things that we have because of the fruit of the Spirit. So Jesus makes the invitation this morning. He also makes the invitation, does that telly not work? Okay, we'll keep it all, keep it all. Um, the second thing that Jesus made an invitation to was in, in another verse in Matthew, chapter 7, verse 7. He says, ask and you will, what? Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be open to you. He makes another invitation. He says, not only can you come to me um, in, in the situations of where you have needs and you struggle in life, but you, all can, you can just come to me and ask of me. 
ask, seek, knock. They and themselves, those three thoughts, have all different connotations, all about prayer. And I love the thought that he makes the invitation. And just as we see the physical body, and as you and I need communication and relationship with each other, how much more do we need to continually keep in relationship with the Heavenly Father that created us and knows how we best function? If communicating with my wife actually produces healthy emotional balance for me, how much more will my he- doing it with my Heavenly Father? I think a lot more, because my wife didn't create me, my God did, and he knows how I function, and he created me to walk with him and talk with him. Unfortunately, sin has a way of keeping me from him, I don't want that. And Jesus comes and makes the invitation, he says, come on, come, come to me. Solomon said something incredible in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, I love this verse, it's a verse that sometimes you write on your birthday cards, in all your ways, well, if you didn't, I have. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. There's two words in that verse that struck me. It's the word ways. And the word ways is an interesting word. It means this. It means the opportunities that we may encounter on a reoccurring basis. That's what it means. In all your opportunities that you encounter on a reoccurring basis. And I started to think about what do I have every day, what happens every day. And you know what happens every day is every day. We have a new day every day. We wake up, it's a new day. Sometimes the day as we wake up, you know, the, um, the, you know, the uh, sky is blue, the, you know, the rain has washed everything. It's beautiful, it's a new day. So for me, the most reoccurring thing is actually the day. Today is a new day. And then I started to look at the, the, um, the word acknowledge. So not only the word ways, but the word acknowledge. And the word acknowledge means direct, sorry, direct intimate contact. In other words, uh, it's talking about direct, intimate, like in marriage. Not just, uh, not, you know, sexual um, intimacy, but also just communication and discussion and that telling that one person in your life about your life and every secret and knowing them. That's what it's talking about here when it says knowledge. It's saying, you know, that's what acknowledge means. It means with God, have that intimate. It's not sexual with God, of course it's not. It's intimate as in telling him about everything he knows about your life so so we could see applied to this 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 verse applied is suggest an intimacy with God in prayer which conceives direct sorry clear direction on the path of your life so we put these two words together and I'll give you my James not the King James version the James Hewitt version Uh, this is what I'd say I'm not changing the Bible by the way I'm just giving you an expanded thought it's this in all our, if in all our days we direct, maintain direct intimate contact with God in prayer, God promises to direct our paths or lives towards fruitfulness and life-releasing endeavors. I reckon that's brilliant. And I thought it all up myself. <laughs> Having good people in your life to communicate and relate to makes a better you. But when you allow God into your life and communicate and relate to Him, it even makes a better, better you. Have you ever played the How Far game? I've played it, not in these latter years of my life, but I certainly when I was young. The rules are really simple. It goes like this. Fill your car up with petrol and see how far you can get before you run out. I used to do it all the time. I was only 18 years of age, I was given the family car, 
uh, I was given the family car because, you know, dad thought I can't kill myself in that. It was made of steel, not plastic. The bumper bar was chrome-plated steel. And so I had this old Holden Kingswood and, and I used to fill it up at the start of the week. And, you know, I was only 18. Um, uh, and so, you know, I was trying to conserve money. And so I'd watch the, the needle on the petrol gauge and that old Holden go down, you know, a week it'd go past and, and then a week and a half and it'd kind of be getting near to empty. And I didn't have the opportunity or the uh, privilege of the modern day technology where you get the warning sign on your dash, low petrol. And some of you push the limit. You play the game how far, don't you? You say, oh, I've got a 60 kilometers left yet. And you go for another two days. Come on. You know, and so I used to do this with my Holden Kingswood. And the truth is I didn't have the warning sign. So, and, and, and when the needle got to a certain point, there was a little knob there that stopped the needle from dropping any further. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> it used to, the, and I used to, on several, many occasions in my teenage years, like early 20s, I used to watch that needle sit on that little knob for a day or two, and I thought, gee, I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm doing well, this car. And, and you know, I used to get, and then I, then I get busy, and I jump in the car. I mean, at 18 and 19, there's lots of things to do. Who wants to fill a car with petrol? So on two or three occasions, I got caught out. Between where I started and where I wanted to go, I'd run out of petrol. <laughs> Pull up somewhere in Gladstone here on the highway. And so I'd have to do, and I didn't have a mobile phone, and so it wasn't like just ring dad. And so I'd walk all the way home, sometimes several kilometers, get the petrol can, walk to a petrol station, and then walk back to the car, fill it up. And in those days, it wasn't a matter of just putting petrol in the tank. It was a matter of kind of priming the carburetor, get in there, you know, fill it up with fuel as well. All those type of things had to happen. And I'd get the car finally started, and we'd be on our way, and I'd be late for what I wanted to do, but you know that's what happens and you know I want to just say that the reality is I haven't got as much as we've got maybe a car today some of you who's ever run out of fuel okay as much as you and I've got a petrol tank that'll go for a week or two depending on the type of car we have we haven't got a spiritual petrol tank that goes for a week or two in actual fact our spiritual petrol tank it's called the prayer tank only goes for 24 hours and you need to refill it again and sometimes I'm my whole life, I've just sometimes played the game, how far? I prayed la- yesterday, oh, I prayed last week, God, how far? I've talked to you, God, about this. I, how far can I get before I run out of spiritual juice? How far can I live my Christian life and just continue? And my, meanwhile, I do, I, I, I've come to the understanding, unless I'm full all the time, I'm really going backwards. God wants to keep us full. He wants to keep the tank right. And I've, I've understood now that to keep my spiritual prayer tank full, every 24 hours, I've got to spend some time in communication. Because to not do it actually starts to take me on a downward spiral. Oh, you say, really? No, no, that's true. And you don't see it coming sometimes. I want to say that prayer establishes for you some incredible, wonderful things in your life. And if there's one thing I want to say this morning is that prayer creates a better future. Today, tomorrow, next year, did you ever know that's what's happening every time you you commit things to God in prayer or you just spend time talking to Him or walking through some situations? It creates a better future. Of all the things you think, well, really, does it do that? Yeah, God is always interested in not just your yesterday, 
which is forgiven and you're now today but he's also interested in your future he's interested in your life and he wants he wants to give you the very best plan he has for you do you know God has a plan for your life but if we never communicate we'll never know see Jeremiah says this it's a great thought 29 for I know the thoughts that I have for you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of what evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you'll seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart I think it's a great can you see the connection between communication and relationship with God and our future he's got this wonderful plan but I've understood that he'll never unfold the plan unless the person who wants to give the plan to is willing to actually let him want to receive it there's one way that he wants us to receive it is just in that communication and relationship with him in prayer prayer is so vital i love what the message says about this verse i know what i'm doing god says i have have it all planned out plans to take care of you not abandon you plans to give you the future you hope for when you call on me when you come and pray to me i'll listen and when you come looking for me you'll find me yes when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else When we pray, when we communicate and spend time in a relationship with our Heavenly Father, our prayer is like it goes before us and it starts to make the way. What was the first verse, one of the first verses? You know, acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your paths. He wants to direct our paths if we would acknowledge Him. Um, Prayer makes a way into your future like no other practice no other endeavor or no other thing that you'll do in your life can do prayer will do things that nothing else will accomplish like you that it'll do it's an investment or an involvement in your life that will be so powerful and effective it establishes your future and it is established through relationship and communication with the heavenly father you think really talking to god really does that yep it has to be from a sincere heart it has to be god (laughs) you know and you might say yeah well how come it didn't happen for me because i ran into this problem and this problem and this problem but maybe the problem would be a lot worse if you didn't have heavenly father directing and maybe those problems were just let me say it times when sometimes all the time but sometimes when we just kind of wandered from the path and done our own thing or maybe the problem was there to get our attention and help us to change i've discovered something about confrontation and offense it's always an opportunity for me to change because humanity says no no that other person needs to change but when i've come to my father he's always kind of saying it's an opportunity for you to change it can be difficult i know that all problems and trials we go through are that way i'm just saying i'm glad that we got a heavenly father i want to and i'll give you some more direction on that in a moment you know investment in prayer creates a future that you don't even see yet but it's coming to pass if you would spend time you wonder why if, you know or you wonder why your future because right now you're in your future and you wonder why maybe some struggles here maybe back here you didn't give it a matter of attention 
and just committed it to the Lord. When I was, um, when I was 20, I bought a house. I was pretty naive and ignorant, to be honest. My mum and dad said, you need to buy a house. You got $6,000 deposit. That was all the savings I had. And they said, that would be good to buy a house. I said, well, do you really think so? They said, yeah. I didn't really have a great... Um, uh, I'm not a real estate person. <laughs> I don't buy and sell houses. But mum and dad said it was a good idea. In actual fact, I was in hospital right then when I signed the papers. I had mumps. I was 20 years of age in Gladstone Hospital, isolated because mumps were contagious. And for 20-year-old boys, mumps aren't real exciting. I'll say, because you swell in places you don't want to know. <laughs> and it wasn't good for me, but I tell you, the reality was, is that mum and dad said, this is a good idea. I signed it while in hospital. I bought this house. I hadn't even seen it. <laughs> they said it was a good house. It was a $36,000 house. Wow, $36,000. That was a lot of money for me. An investment of $6,000. 13 years. I didn't even have a girlfriend. I just, mum and dad come and live with me. They moved out of my house. I didn't move out of theirs. So at uh, 20, I bought this house. Uh, I didn't know that I one day met a girl, get married to her, and that she'd come to live in this house. I didn't know that one day I'd have two children, little girls, and they'd come and live in this house. And 13 years later, we had this little box on stilts and that's what it was and we understood that we needed a bigger house and so we moved out of that house and we used we sold this house to buy a little bit bigger house not elaborate just another bigger house and on a much quieter street and I didn't know that 13 years earlier when I signed a piece of paper that said you know you now are going to own uh whatever park street number it was I've forgotten I didn't know that it was going to set up my future but it really did I didn't know that a little $36,000 house that wasn't much in those days was going to be such a wonderful investment for my future. And I want to tell you, sometimes if you would just take the opportunity today to pray about those things and those situations and pray through, I tell you what, God wants to promise a better future. Do you believe Jeremiah this morning? Do you believe what God spoke through him? Because if you did, you would start to pray about now, life in the future. Isn't that true? The investment you make now creates something incredible for the future. And if you've never seen prayer as an investment, I tell you, start to see it as an investment today. It's the best investment we could ever make. If I neglect the investment of time in prayer, I neglect my future. I neglect my situations. I can build my physical kingdom for myself. And if I can neglect my spiritual kingdom of my inner man and my spiritual man, I might have everything in the world has to offer, but I really got nothing, folks. Nothing. Believe me, when you ask God for a good and unselfish thing, he, you're investing in something that will bring a good return. There's a passage in Scripture that Jesus actually gives us a wonderful example of how he prayed, and he actually prayed for one of his disciples called Simon Peter. And this is what he said. He said, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked you, uh, sorry, has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, and strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Uh, Peter wasn't. <laughs> if you know Peter's story, he didn't want to do that. He followed Jesus to where he was kind of whipped, but he then denied Jesus, didn't he? And then he said, I tell you, Peter, Jesus speaking, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny 
three times that you know me. And that's what happened. The interesting thing is some things about Jesus. Jesus didn't assume. Jesus prayed. Even the Son of God needed to pray to God. Jesus Christ, God on earth, spent time in prayer to God in heaven for one of his disciples. And there wasn't some untold kind of secret um, uh, plan between him and his heavenly father, but they never had to talk to each other, and they never had to pray, and then if Jesus just thought it, then it would come to pass. God would see that thought and say, yeah, that's great, I'll, I'll deal with it. No, it never happened that way. Even the Son of God had to pray to the heavenly God for answers and direction, and even prayed for Peter. He could see the need, because the future was not automatically established for Peter, and Jesus says, Satan wants to test you, but I've prayed for you and when you've come through the test I tell you what I'm going to bring you through refined and I want to tell you right now you might be in the middle of a test but do not despair because as you walk with our heavenly father he'll bring you through and I tell you what he's got a better future some of you need to grab that because you're in that test or you're in that trial and you think why has this happened I want to tell you that God has I reckon Jesus intercedes for you If Son of God had to talk to the, our Creator God, how much more do the children of God need to talk to Creator God? Can we assume too much with God? Can we, you know, He knows what I need, and the Bible says He knows even before we ask Him, but I am convinced and I know that God wants to hear it from your heart more than He wants to just hear a thought. He wants to see your sincerity, and He wants to see your passion. He wants to see if you can... Um, is it possible for these little boys to find somewhere over there in the parents' room? Is it okay? I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Is that okay, church? Is that, I'm sorry, but I just, I just need some help here. That'd be great. Brilliant. We all good? Jesus asked Peter for God's... Uh, Jesus asked God for Peter's faith to grow strong, not to remove him from the trials. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? It just says, uh, God says, come on. Um, Jesus asked God, not to, oh, God, would you just remove Peter from this, this trial he's going to face, from this situation he's going to face, from this circumstance he's going to face? Could you remove him from that problem? Don't let him go through it, God. No, God, Jesus didn't say that. He said, he didn't even pray to remove the trial. He just said, would you help, would you please help him to come through it? And I tell you, when we submit our life and we commit our life to him, I want to tell you what God does. He actually helps us to come through it. When we walk in his, he, you know, the valley, Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley, folks keep walking. And you know what you need by your side is the communication and relationship with our heavenly father. He, don't, he, he's not gonna he's not gonna remove you sometimes from the problem he's gonna actually help you come through because when peter comes through the other side and we have a relationship with the heavenly father and we will come through the other side uh and we will come through the test uh, the, the wonderful thing about it is after he come through the trial he actually went and strengthened his brothers and sisters in christ and and and, and we, we, we know anything of peter he was there on the day of pentecost in the second chapter of acts and he saw the Holy Spirit fall, and then he preached an incredible message, and 3,000 people that day came to Christ. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus. I want to tell you what prayer does. It enables us to come through 
over and beyond and go on to even greater things. Our future is assured. Peter was the lowest of the low when he, re, he, you know, he denied Christ three times. But I tell you, he saw an incredible miracle. And it all starts as we keep in relationship with our Heavenly Father. Your test is exactly that. It's not a tombstone. It's just a test. And I want to encourage us, when we spend time in prayer, we just spend time focusing on the answers and not just always focusing on the problem. And the problem can be that we want to be you know, taken up with fear and worry and anxiety. But, you know, we can pray. If you're sick today, pray a prayer of faith because his sacrifice on the cross accommodated sickness so that we would be healed by his stripes isn't that wonderful if i'm offended today why don't we pray for the person to upset the bible says pray for them and ask god to bless them and god if i do that you know eventually and and timely i'll I'll discover that my i don't have bitterness in my heart towards that situation if i'm stressed today why don't i thank god and just start to spend some time in his presence because when i spend time in his presence peace comes and i receive that peace and I receive that joy in the midst. Why, you know, all these things we can submit and commit to Him. I have discovered something that a need that is under God's control is never out of control. A need that is under God's control, given to God through prayer, is never out of control. I want to finish with this simple thought. But the future, prayer that changes your future is persistent is persistent it's not persistent in the way of trying to pry things from god it's just persistent in always handing it over to him bringing it up in prayer to keep our passion for it happening it's this persistence uh, god responds to a heart that's persistent and consistent and passionate um, and i've discovered prayer is not overcoming god's reluctance it's laying hold of his greatest willingness god is not reluctant to help you god just has a better timing than yours you think it's his reluctance or you haven't got it all right. No, sometimes it's just timing for God and he knows the best time. He, remember he says, he said through Jeremiah, I've got the best plan, best future, best hope. You know, the reason uh, sometimes that we fail to pray is because we've just forgotten that we just need to be persistent. We just need to be a little bit more, let's do it again. Let's pray again. There was a father who sat around the dinner table with his two sons and his wife, and he just said, hey, look, everybody tonight, before we, let's just have a short prayer for someone that you want to pray for. And his 10-year-old son said, oh, I've got a mate called Eddie, and he's really bad. He's still my mate, but he does stupid stuff at school, and he's bad, and he gets in trouble. So the 10-year-old son prayed for Eddie that night. Now, the week later came along, and the father is around the... We're all around the uh, dining room table again. And he says, hey, uh, he talked to his 10-year-old son. He said, hey, uh, you going to pray for Eddie again tonight? He says, no, I'm not going to pray for Eddie again tonight. I prayed for him last week and he's still bad. He's still bad. I just want to say that, you know, I'm glad that someone continually prayed for me when I was still bad. It's just persistent. It's just persistent, isn't it? I came to the Lord when I was 13 years of age. It was a great day. And from that moment, I was on a mission to see my mum and my, well, my whole family, but I certainly was wanting my mum to come to Jesus. Now, I knew she had a kind of belief, but she'd never committed a life. And so 
I continually prayed and prayed for her and prayed. From the age of 13, I continually prayed for her. She got angry with me. Some of you heard my testimony about her. She got angry with me one night. A couple of times she got angry with me because I challenged her in a loving way about her faith. And I kind of stepped back, but I didn't stop praying. I was 21 years of age. She came to a meeting here and she sat probably where Terry and Maria there. Barry Smith was preaching, great New Zealand preacher. Do you ever remember him? Mm. And he preached about Jesus in the end, besides end times. My mum didn't come forward to commit a life to Christ. And I took her home in my Kingswood bench seat. <laughs> bench seat. I'm there. My brother, who was about 12 at the time, was on the left of her. She was in the middle, couldn't get out. <laughs> and I said to her, Mum, what do you think of tonight's message? She burst into tears and said, don't talk to me about tonight's message. Oh, I said, okay, mum. Why? What's wrong? Don't talk to me about it. We pulled into the driveway and I thought, I've got to make this. I've got to go for it. She might get upset with me and take me out of the inheritance, but that's okay. I said, mum, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? She said, yes. <laughs> and we led her to Jesus in the front seat of that Holden Kingswood, the same Holden Kingswood that ran out of petrol many times. It was good for something. But that was like nearly, 30, nearly 10 years. And I just think sometimes, folks, just persistent communication with our Heavenly Father. Do not give up on your kids or your relatives or your parents or your family. Continue. God, you bring it up before God and He continually. Sometimes there's a hardness of heart. We've just got to let prayer continually chips away at the hardness. Amen? Prayer continually just... God wants to just speak to your heart today and say, come on. Would you just make prayer a priority in your life, my relationship with you? Because it not only establishes you so healthy and well, it helps you to live life so much better. It then helps others to live life through you because as you continually commit things to me. Can we stand this morning? More than prayer today is really the issue of relationship with our heavenly father because out of relationship there can come worship and there can come praise and there can come prayer which is of course a vital part of it there comes reading his word just getting information and context what god's speaking to you through his word and sometimes you just speak to your heart and you can really hear that but unless we spend time in his presence you'll just never never really hear uh, you'll never really have that opportunity for him to speak. And I just want to encourage us as a church, would we be a church that would just continually say, I, I need to pray? You know, some of you would really do well if you just come and prayed in the church prayer meetings. It's just a great time. I just appreciate the people that come Tuesday morning, 6 till 7. Oh, you say, just wait a second, 6 till 7? You've got to be joking. That's in the morning. Yeah. My heart doesn't start beating till 8 o'clock. What are you talking about? 6 o'clock. Well, I'm just saying that a sacrifice might do you good. Because I think we live in a pretty blessed church in a pretty blessed, comfortable city. Lots of money. Come on, church, grow up. Start to call out to your God. Stop wasting your time playing the Christian life but never living it.
God wants you so much. He cares for you. He loves you. And he just says, why don't you just communicate with me and talk about life? Can I just pray for us all this morning? I want to just pass to you because God loves you so much. I just know so much is available for you. So much blessing, so much hope, so much future. But if we never present ourselves, he says, you know, come to me, all in labor, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come and talk to him. Ask, seek, knock. Come and communicate. Father, today, I thank you for every precious person here, every child, every older person, every middle-aged person. I thank you for their lives. I know you love them dearly. I know you love them incredibly. And Lord, I ask that you'd help us to be a people that would, Father, just come back to that place you always had in the Garden of Eden, where we just communicate and converse with you and talk about life. Lord, that we would just do life with you, that, Father, you'd become an intimate part of our life as we allow you. It says, draw near to you, Lord, and you're going to draw near to us. So we welcome that, Father. We need that. And I ask an incredible blessing upon your people, that we would be your people. And it says in Chronicles, if my people would humble themselves and pray, then you would heal their land. And you would do incredible things. And God, we need that to happen across our land of Australia and across this world. Even in our families today, even for our our kids today. We love them. We know you love them. Help us to continue to bring them before your throne in prayer. Help us, Father, as people to continue to converse with you. Lord, we ask that in the name of Jesus. And we present ourselves to you and thank you today. Father, we know you're good. You're not here to do us bad. It's just that we want to experience your goodness, and we can't until we tap into your source, which is you. Thank you, Lord, for this day, and we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Come on, let's just sing this this last song this morning. Worship him just for a moment. Thank you, Father.